J.R. Manga presents Midnight City, narrated by DB82, for all the Latoyas of the world. Chapter 1. Kill Bill The thunderous roar of a black 1969 Ford Mustang boss made its way through the autumn streets of Seattle. The agent behind the wheel stopped at the lights, turned to his right, and peered down at the mobile phone which laid upon the black leather passenger seat, along with his dark, glistening gun, a prototype Wilson Combat EDC X9 sidearm. He played the recorded mission briefing again on his phone, checking if he missed anything. Good evening, Agent S6. Your mission is to investigate the disappearances that have been occurring and increasing in the city of Seattle. We cannot confirm if these are paranormal in nature, but we will adhere to our second mandate, which is to investigate leads when traditional law enforcement have exhausted their own. We have been called because whoever investigates these disappearances either goes missing, ends up dead, or drops the case refusing to go further with it. These orders to drop the case usually come from a person with a higher rank than captain, which means their clearance level is close to our network at the agency. They may know we exist, and they always seem to be one step ahead of us. None of this information would have been known to us if it weren't for a private investigator leaking his notes to a member of the press, who in turn uploaded their discussion to their own computer. He must have known his life was in danger. The reporter is missing and the P.I. was found dead in his office. Autopsy states heart failure, even though he had no underlying health conditions. Our system picked up and downloaded the data instantly when keywords were mentioned, that being cult, ritual, cover-up. A red flag was raised in Eric's software due to the city's history with externals and the incident you were involved in 15 years ago. All files will be sent to the Seattle branch, so pick them up and go over them. You never know, you may find something new in the investigation. The young agent reached his destination, pulling into the street. He parked directly in front of a run-down white picket-fenced house, with chipped wood, overgrown shrubs, and a weeded driveway. The house was not an odd sight amongst the other properties on the Broken Avenue, nor did the agent expect anything different. He knew the neighborhood was a stone's throw away from being bulldozed to make another apartment duplex, because that would bring the profits in. More than the widows, widowers, retired war vets, and penniless families that consumed the area. The agent stepped out of his vehicle, shooting a natural glance to his sleek sword in its flat scabbard, camouflaged by the ink leather of the back seat. When closing the door, he could sense the street's eyes on him, 
even hear the swiping of curtains and the flicker of blinds at the surrounding houses. As he ventured up the driveway, a neighbor to his right sat on his front lawn in a light green plastic deck chair with a can of Budweiser in hand, slurping away. Howdy, said the senior citizen cheerfully, his quick greeting suggesting the agent was visiting him. Morning, sir. Is Martha in? When the agent asked, he could see the patriotic American flag waving behind the old man, attached to the top part of the wood-pillared decking. It was clear he took considerable pride in his property, though, as it stood out like a white-pearled mansion, not a chip of wood in sight, not an inch of bush out of place. Depends who's asking, replied the Navy vet, adjusting himself in his cheap-looking seat, hawking a fat loogie from the back of his throat. Someone that is searching for her missing daughter, said the agent directly. The bluntness of the agent's response took the man aback. He placed a pale, sunburnt elbow on the arm of his chair, his brown, alert eyes fixed on the agent. Terrible business, he said, shaking his head. Anything I can do to help, just let me know, Sonny. Thanks, but uh, just knowing if she's in would do for now, sir. The man frowned his hairy, layered brows, taking another swig of his beer. He gave a flick of his head while holding the tip of his Seattle Supersonics cap. She's inside, boy. But like I said, anything I can do. I may be retired, but I can still shoot a fucker dead. <laughs> the man slapped his denim lap with a high-pitched chortle. Well, I'll hold you to that, sir, said the young agent with a curved grin. I like you, kid. <laughs> The man's prominent laughter continued until the agent was at Martha's door. She opened the worn entrance after one knock, clearly hearing the commotion of chatter on her cracked driveway. She did not open the mesh door. She only peeked her head around the nicked wooden frame. "'Who are you and what do you want?' asked the woman sharply. "'I'm sorry to disturb you, ma'am. I'm a federal agent investigating the disappearance of your daughter, Latoya.' "'My daughter?' A look of disorientation sat across her lined face. But I was told the case had been dropped. Because of her profession, it wasn't worth investigating. These things happen to girls like that, an officer said to me. Can you believe that? The woman sniffled and looked away, trying to hold back tears. Well, ma'am, I ain't no officer, and I have a personal interest in your daughter's case. The woman's head lifted as though a hope she had all but forgotten was entering her again. She stepped from behind the door, looking at the agent intensely, accessing if this was some sort of hoax. She stared into his ice-blue eyes and saw a pain, a trauma, that had been in her daughter's eyes as well. His polite yet cocky New York accent did not match his self-assured temperament. His attire spoke nothing of being a government agent, and if she were being honest, Neither did his skin. Too perfect, too smooth, too young to have any experience in being an investigator. Then there was the dragon tattoo on the left side of his face, just finishing on the side profile of his cheekbone. It slithered down his neck and possibly beyond that. Martha noticed how the dragon's face was facing upward, as though it had a destination in mind. But the most disturbing aspect of the tattoo was its slitted pupils, Depending on the angle of the agent's face, it appeared as though its eyes moved, following whoever was in front of the young man. The tattoo held two other colors that accompanied its darkened shade, a ruby red and a glistening green. Martha had been dead to the world since her daughter's disappearance. 
Times were always changing. Things that were taboo in her day were embraced and glorified today. So why would a tattooed government agent be any different, she thought. Do you have any ID? The blonde agent reached into the side pocket of his trench coat, grabbing his leather wallet. He flipped it open and brought it closer to the mesh door as he could see Martha squinting. Federal Agent UNCR James Spectra Division. She frowned. Never heard of them, but your ID looks kosher enough. Come in, young man. I've lost hope in my daughter being alive, but I wouldn't want any other mother going through what I'm going through right now. My baby deserves justice. The bereaved woman opened the mesh door and walked ahead into the house with the agent not far behind. The house was open plan but felt confined and fairly oppressive due to the clutter, that clutter being children's toys, coloring books, and almost any item that involved Hello Kitty. A little girl made her way down the brown carpeted stairs on the left just before the living room area was in view. The agent guessed that she was no more than four years old as she leapt from the third step with shared confidence and balance. Ta-da, said the little girl of dark brown skin with pleated pigtails, pulling down her Hello Kitty dress. What did you think of my landing, mister? The agent analyzed the little lady, narrowing his slick eyes with his hand on his chin. He knelt to her level. I give the landing a solid ten out of ten. But your style was a definite twelve, said the agent with a heartwarming grin, which was matched by her gleaming smile. The child shared similarities to Martha, and yet she was identical to a younger woman seen in multiple photographs leading up and down the staircase, hooked onto a burgundy wallpaper. Latoya. Nana, you hear that? It's Nana, did you hear that? We speak properly in this house, young lady, and what did I tell you about jumping off the stairs? The elderly woman now beside the agent looked down at the little girl. You said if I jumped off the stairs and bumped my head, then that would make me stupid and we cannot afford to be stupid in a man's world. Exactly, so don't do it again. Okay, Nana Bear. And you don't encourage her, Martha rebuked, turning to the agent, nudging him slightly, but humor showed on her face. Never again, ma'am, expressed the agent with raised hands that were gloved, who then regarded the little girl shooting a covert wink. She tried hard to conceal her tittering, but Grandma noticed and scowled at them both. Now go and play, Anna. Me and this young man must talk in private. Okay, Nana. Nice to meet you, mister. Ditto, little Anna. You talk funny, mister. <laughs> the child then skipped into the kitchen and sat at a large rectangular table with her coloring books humming away. Come into the living room. What does the C in your name stand for? The man halted his stride, which made Martha pause. It stands for Charlie. The woman was holding a toy she picked up. She was looking to place it somewhere, but dropped it again as soon as the name parted from the agent's lips. The name itself held no real significance. She had heard the name spoken many times in her years of life, but it was the man who was attached to the name, the man that would undoubtedly look like the man that stood before her now. The hair, the eyes. He looked just like the boy on the missing persons poster, along with her daughter, fifteen years ago. He has not changed, apart from the obvious of growing fuller, taller, and more manly. But his face still held an innocence, a baby-like quality. It was only his eyes that held something different, something that didn't match their lightness at all. Like the sky color of his irises were a complete lie, a facade, a fabrication. 
Are you okay, ma'am? asked Charlie, concerned for Martha's well-being. I'm fine. Please have a seat, she said, guiding him into the spring-lit room. He sat on a beige three-seater sofa, tucking in his low-collared trench coat that was the mid-shade of brown leather. Charlie used his peripheral vision to scan the woman's abode. It was clear she struggled to maintain the house, and it was evidence she had found it difficult when keeping up with a child of energetic quality. The poor maintenance wasn't from the woman's cleanliness, as that was impeccable. This was from a lack of funds to maintain the property itself. Essential repairs needed completing, holes needed filling, cracks needed mending, and the damp needed addressing. But a pension budget was just barely keeping them afloat, with no extra money to restore the house to its former glory. This woman values family above all else, and part of that was snatched away from her, twice. She took a framed picture of her daughter from the coffee table and held it close to her chest, as though it would give her strength in the preceding conversation. When looking at the defeated woman, Charlie noticed that the same breakdown of the house had its damaging effect on her as well. Her cream woolly jumper was flaking by the seams. Her graying locks spilled out from underneath her hairnet. Her dark skin held no moisture or shine. It was dry, lifeless, devoid of any vigor or routine. Her bags were heavy, weighing down her eyes like dumbbells were attached to them. She seemed lost in thought, lost in everything. She then concentrated on Charlie. Are you the boy from all those years ago? The one that was taken with my Latoya? There was a brief hesitation in Charlie, and from that uncomfortable silence that filled the air she already knew his answer. No one gets over an ordeal like that. Yes, I am that boy. He looked away, but quickly met the woman's gaze again. Oh, my heavens, she said, doing the prayer motion across her chest. And look at you now, a federal agent. Your mother must be so proud of you, Charlie, said Martha with genuine admiration. Well, she's happy I'm happy, he uttered quietly, not letting the false smile fade from his mouth. Aw, I knew your mother. We worked together day and night trying to find you kids ourselves. Such a strong woman. A trait passed down to her handsome boy, I see. Charlie's rose cheeks blushed unyieldingly, his professional exterior fading away rather quickly. The woman giggled, like his presence alone made her forget why he was visiting. But where are my manners? Would you like a drink? Coffee? A cup of tea, perhaps? She asked. Charlie could see that once the barrier of mistrust had been broken, a lonely old woman would be left in its place. Like his own mother, her grief and self-loathing had pushed everyone away, making the most loving person the loneliest. Coffee would be great, ma'am. Thank you. Please, call me Martha. The young agent gave a low nod that extended to a smile across his slender face. Martha eased her grip of the framed photograph and went into the kitchen to make their drinks. She quickly made lunch for her granddaughter before stepping back into the living room, taking her seat, releasing a great sigh of exhaustion. Thank you, Martha. Well, like I said earlier, I'm here to investigate the disappearance of your daughter. Another truth is that Latoya has never been far from my thoughts as a child. We were paired together when we were kidnapped as children, which no one else knows. Good heaven! You held that memory for all this time? I have. Whenever I had nightmares, she was always there with me. I felt responsible for her, and she always sought me out in school, even though I was older. I thought you left Seattle after the accident. 
No, I left grade school when I was eight and was privately tutored, so to speak, and left Seattle when I was 16. New York, I take it. Yes, ma'am. So how did you find out about LaToya? I often check in on her, usually via Facebook or a phone call. Only a year ago it all stopped. Then I checked the news, which said nothing about this. So I looked at our database and saw you reported her missing. Then I also got a request to investigate similar cases in the city. Do you think they are connected somehow? Ma'am, I never rule anything out. But this whole thing stinks, and I will get to the bottom of it. Martha's attention went to the kitchen, making sure Anna wasn't listening. You do know what LaToya did for a living, right? I do. You don't think it's a client that's gone too far? Have you checked that waste of space? The English boss, they call him, she stated as though sickened by the name. I would usually think that, but word is, other girls have gone missing too, and that would imply the English boss is okay with losing money, which these people hate doing. Martha gave a saddened, contemplating frown. She tearfully glared at her daughter's picture in front of her. She gaped at it like she was communicating with the image. I know. I went looking for my daughter myself and made a visit to the avenue she worked on. Do you have any idea how it feels knowing your own flesh and blood sold her body for money? That Anna will never know her father because he's one of the many men that raped my baby? That the authorities don't give a damn about missing hookers? Martha rolled up her eyes, trying to cease the swelling of liquid that felt compelled to leave her tear ducts. She swallowed hard and placed her wrinkled hands around the white china teacup. The small cup clattered fiercely as she lifted it from its round, patterned coaster. No, ma'am, I cannot imagine how it feels. Growing up without a father, well, in that regard I do. Charlie's gaze went to Anna. After a brief pause, his focus went back to her grandmother. I apologize. I didn't mean to bring up old or current wounds, ma'am. Out of respect, I just wanted you to know that someone else cares for Latoya, and I will do all in my power to find the truth in this. I will bring her back, or I will bring you closure. This I promise you. Charlie looked at Anna again. I will bring you both closure, he whispered. The agent continued his questioning, discovering when Martha had last seen her daughter, and if she noticed anything unusual in her behavior. But she could recall nothing odd in her daily habits. She was a good parent, the best. She did everything for her daughter, losing her dignity six days a week so they could have a life of normality. Living with her demons, her own nightmares that was shared with the agent. Charlie knew that the act that brought her child into this world was that of evil. But a pure spirit was born from it, and that pure, untainted soul saved her. Martha saw this, the sacrifices, the undying love she had for Anna, and how this love was inherited, how it was meant to be. Latoya needed Anna. She needed a love to bind her to this world of cruelty and unfairness. So LaToya just leaving her child never made sense. Only Charlie knew of LaToya's future plans, as these plans involved him. She wanted freedom from the streets, her aspirations involving nursing and caring for others. Charlie paid her tuition fees, and she attended night school while her mother babysat Hannah. When she attained her qualifications, Charlie promised to relocate her whole family to New York City. Charlie thought the lack of communication came from her meeting someone, building the happy life she strived for. But a demonic crisis of catastrophic proportion distracted the young agent, and when the threat was over, his trained intuition came into play. 
there were no updated Facebook posts of LaToya and Anna, no text messages. The texts weren't even read. So, when he looked at the federal database, it was like his own suspicions were confirmed. The woman who had lost hope and faith in anyone helping burst into a cracked dam of cries. Anna heard her nana sobbing and came running into the living room. The little girl eyed Charlie with a screwed-up face that held rage. What did you say to my nana? Martha spun the little girl around to face her. Sweet child, remember when I told you that your mama may return someday, or she may be with the angels? I remember, nana. I told you this because I didn't want you to lose hope in your mama returning, and I also want you to prepare for the possible news of your mama living in heaven. But what was the other thing I told you? Anna looked up and thought, that whatever happens, an angel will guide her back to us again, or guide her to the Lord. Martha stared at her granddaughter with the truest form of love Charlie had ever seen, if only from a handful of people. That's my girl. Martha then twirled the child around to face Charlie, and both stared into determined eyes. Well, my little Anna, this man is that angel. Charlie picked up the files from the Seattle branch and made his way into the Skyline Hotel downtown. It stood as the most iconic landmark on the block, with its mirrored windows, reflective surfaces, and bright atmosphere. The carpool stood to the left of the hotel, connecting it to two sections of the building. One via an elegant tunneled bridge that led to the elevator which could easily reach the lobby or the many different floors of the building, and two via the front entrance of the hotel where guests would be greeted with a beverage of their choosing. But Charlie did not go left, he drove right to the spacious side street that led to a gated entrance. His car crept up to a wide metallic gate that held an invisible sensor above it. The sensor scanned his car with a faint glow, covering the whole vehicle in a misted blue sheet like it was made light years in the future. The gate then lifted and he drove through. The road sloped down, with only the pale light leading the way into a semi-diagonal drop. The subterranean road banked right which stopped directly underneath the hotel. No other car was present in the dark underground parking structure. Only the light above the elevator at the dead end illuminated the way. He parked up, took the key out of the ignition, placed the gun in his body holster that was pressed to his left side and reached for his sword in the back seat, along with a box full of files. He closed the door, placing the sword on top of the brown box, lifted it, and walked to the elevator. With the box under arm, he took out his ID badge, and the outside elevator panel beeped with a flash of green. He entered the floor-hopping contraption and reached the top suite, which opened directly to his room, a mid-modern interior with abstract furnishings. The whole room had a black and gold aura about it, with the tiny streetlights below decorating the space. The view was breathtaking. It was like having an unhidden perspective of every street. Charlie put the box and his sword down, then flung his coat onto a chair near the desk unit. He unclipped his body holster, which dropped where he stood, and made his way to the mini-fridge to fix himself a stiff drink of spirited flavor, ice included. He saw the remote laid on the white puffy bed and sat down facing the TV. He switched on the mounted 4K 50-inch widescreen while removing his black combat boots. He flicked through the channel, stopping at the Kill Bill movie. 
He felt excited like a child seeing his favorite film just starting. He propped himself further back into the headboard, staring up at the television. He knew he needed a shower, but he couldn't be bothered right now. And he couldn't pry himself away from the motion picture even if he tried. The agent watched the film until its end, then grabbed a shower after that. He neatly put his black-fitted t-shirt and black cargo combat pants on the chair he had thrown his coat on. This was his second night in the hotel, and he'd already had loungewear at the ready. Drink, chill, shower, food, which he'd ordered from room service. The same service that came up to his room via the normal entrance. The same room that held no door number and was not on the hotel's pamphlet. The service that only hires one sternly vetted staff member who brings the food up and leaves the large tray of meals at the door. This level of secrecy was standard procedure amongst the agency, a way of limiting the viewing presence of a spectra. Charlie knew these procedures were needed, so he didn't complain. Having their own car park entrance, penthouse suite, and tailored treatment was the kind of James Bond perk that came with the territory, as the job was infinitely more life-threatening. So, he will bask in its perks and privileges, which included the car, the gear, and the gun. The first of many purchases as soon as his Spectre status was confirmed. Now well-fed, slightly boozed up, and completely relaxed, he took out the files that were living inside the cardboard box, and his investigation began in earnest. Paperwork, documents, case files, and corresponding letters were all sprawled out in front of the agent, who sat on the foot of the bed, legs crossed, now drinking water as a concerned pattern was emerging and he needed his mind focused and detoxified. Nothing about the disappearances made sense. If these bastards were kidnapping people for ritualistic purposes, then the missing victims would vary in age. Charlie investigated his own case file when he was kidnapped as a young boy of five. He saw how they took anyone they could for Patrick King's great ritual, a more disturbing find that the man he believed to be the mastermind behind the whole thing was only a puppet himself. To have such a mass amount of people go missing with only two arrests at the end of it was an answer within itself. An answer no one sought to investigate. Everything leaves a trail. Even the ones you cover up, you sons of bitches. The lead detectives were getting railroaded at every turn, and they didn't even know it. The detective that saved Charlie was never meant to find and rescue him or anyone else that was declared missing. It was only his persistence and blind luck, or possibly a miracle, he reached them in time. A responsive smile would always form on Charlie's face whenever he thought of Detective Robert E. Slade. It was this very act that has developed his truest essence, the essence of a man wanting to save anyone he can from evil. To prevent these sadistic acts that has shaped him and ruined so many lives, such a strange world that Detective Slade would share such a profound connection to the young agent, and he doesn't even know it. Having this train of thought about his real-life savior, then to have his mobile phone ring flashing the name Rosalia Slade spooked Charlie beyond measure, to the point his heart thumped in a regular beat. He looked at his ringing phone that played the Kill Bill theme tune, thinking, She never usually calls so late. I hope everything is okay. He pressed the green answer button on the loud device, placing it to his ear with a hastening urgency. Hey, Rosa, you okay? No. No? Can you elaborate? I don't speak teenage girl. Very funny, Charlie. I have something important to tell you. To be honest, this is all crazy. Like, I can't even deal right now. What do you mean? 
Like, how we're all connected, you know? There's got to be a reason we all can do what we can do, right? Have you been drinking? Or have you been getting high with your little school buddies? Because I thought better of you, Rosa. Oh, screw you, Charlie. None of that crap interests me. I got high once, then I had training with you the next day and regretted it, so never again. Glad to hear. I need your mind clear and focused. You are too powerful for anything to impede on your concentration, Rosa. I know. Have you spoken to your father? Not yet. He's not been himself lately. I think years of being a detective is getting to him. It's weird, though. Why? Because he seems more alive. He looks younger, more energetic. He can't even hold things without breaking them. It's totally weird. Hmm. Maybe your mother has put a spell on him. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> so, what's on your mind, Rosa? Okay, firstly, do you not think it's odd that collectively we all have unique abilities? Like predestined powers that has made us the ideal weapons for this war against demons? That's some pretty deep thinking for a teenager. Jeez, Rosa. If you knew my mother, then you'd understand where these thoughts come from. And I have spoken to her about this. But we're holding out on telling my dad right now. He has enough on his plate. Your mind is sharp as ever, Rosa. Yes, I do think about this. A lot, actually. But then again, someone told me once that nothing is accidental. Not a damn thing. If we have these gifts, or curse in my case, then they're meant for something. And that something was made clear to me when that person explained the real purpose behind Lucifer's actions. His actions? Why? What does he want? He wants freedom from his ice prison, and he's searching for the child of prophecy. What's so special about the child of prophecy? It's foretold that this child will end Lucifer's reign and destroy all demons in hell, bringing harmony to the dimension of torment. So that's what my mother's been hiding from me. What? Nothing. Just my mom has been secretive with certain books. She's also like that whenever she speaks with Aunt Nat. I always knew they were hiding something. Every time I'd walk in on them talking, they would stop and change the subject. It was the same with my dad, too. They're all in on it. In on what, Rosa? What was told to Charlie shocked him to the core of his soul. Rosa was right. Their connection with each other cannot be mere coincidence. He thought back to what Lilith had told him. The Lord guides us all, whether we are aware of it or not. But it has always been our choice to see that guidance for ourselves. To embrace it or reject it. This, however, was not a choice, nor was it guidance. This was preparation. Preparation for a war, a holy war, that will shake the very foundations of mankind. And though they all have a part to play, this boy is the key to their survival. He is the trump card, the cure in ending this demonic sickness for good. No war has been so detrimental to humanity since that of the angels betraying God. And it was God's children that have suffered the collateral damage of such an ongoing campaign. Has God given us a fighting chance, placing the most powerful humans together, giving us the tools to win? The dragon on Charlie's body started to move, swirling and slithering around him, but eventually returning to its original spot, covering his whole left leg, torso, left arm, and left side profile. When the dragon finished its hypnotic snake movement, Charlie had his answer. Before you go, Rosa, can I ask you something? Sure. 
Why would cultists kidnap a certain demographic of people, people of a certain age, social media influencers, hookers, partygoers, free-spirited individuals? Why only choose them when anyone is worthy of a ritualistic sacrifice? There was a brief pause on the other end of the line. Because these people can easily let go of their inhibitions, and the release of such inhibitions was needed in the witch sabbaths of ancient times. Well, I say ancient, when really some witches are still in circulation today and perform the same Sabbathian rituals. What were these Sabbaths used for? To give the witch extraordinary abilities, or to summon a demon, powerful ones. To take so many people, this couldn't be a damn witch trying to harbor power, could it? I'm missing something here, and I'm running out of time. If the evidence adds up, then the next Sabbath will be in a few days. Shit! Are you still there? Yeah, sorry, I was just thinking. Go get some sleep, Rosa. Be ready for our training at the weekend. Sure thing. Um, would this training involve money so I can go shopping? Like I said before, as sharp as ever. Yes, but only if you control your summon this time. The last one I had to kill stained my coat. If that happens again, your shopping money will decrease dramatically. Fine. The line went dead. Bye then, teenagers. Charlie rolled his eyes. You have been listening to Midnight City by J.R. Manga. Narrated by DB82. Copyright 2023 by J.R. Manga and VHS Reader. All characters and events in this publication, other than those in the public domain, are fictitious and any resemblance to real persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. All rights reserved. No part of this publication may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted, in any form or by any means, without the prior permission and writing of the publisher. The publisher is not responsible for websites or social media pages that are not owned by the publisher.